following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study uh, through the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're hitting chapter 10 today. The second half of chapter 10 is going to mark a a significant pivot in the overall structure of the book. The first half of of chapter 10 is going to be the author almost reiterating with some different imagery and ideas uh, much of what he's already been saying, helping us to understand why Jesus is the superior high priest, why the new covenant is the superior covenant, uh, and, and all these types of things. And so as, as we break into this, you are going to, as we read this, see some things you have seen over the last weeks and months. Uh, but, but please don't let that uh, make you think, oh, okay, well, this is information I already have. I don't, I don't need to hear this. The, the Word of God is inspired. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired this writer to write this book in the way it was written. And thus, if we see repetition, that means it's really important for us to grasp this, these principles. So uh, I, w- I would say then even more so the fact that the Holy Spirit saw fit to have some of these things brought to our attention again as a, as a wrap-up of this first portion of argumentation through the book of Hebrews means we should, we should pay even closer attention. And we also have the value today of some of the same principles brought with a, a bit of a different um, imagery and, and kind of pictorial representation. And the, <clears throat> the Bible broadly, I think most specifically and maybe prominently, the teachings of Jesus. If you're somebody that um, doesn't like it when people use object lessons and things like that, um, I, I just would wonder if maybe you've read the Gospels or not, because Jesus was constantly looking around and saying, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like, or all the time grabbing from everyday life things and images to try to help people understand deep spiritual concepts. So uh, Jesus did that. The writer of Hebrews takes a page out of his book, and um, we'll be doing that a little bit today as well. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1. We have a lot of verses to look at today. Verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read that now. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, When he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
It's a key phrase. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Praise God for his word. If you didn't know when we started, why Hebrews is sometimes regarded as uh, deep water, <laughs> now you know, okay? So um, as has been the case most of the time we've been working through this book, we've, we've got big work to do today. Um, I will say today, though, that in, in my time of just prayer, study, thinking around how to articulate Hebrews 10 in a way that would make sense to us, um, I do believe the, the Lord gave me a, a bit of a, a structure and a, and a, a pictorial helper that, that takes these 18 verses and, and kind of breaks them into three sections that, that will help us really get the thrust of what's being said here as a summary uh, of the argumentation we've seen thus far in the book. And, and this, this imagery, this kind of pictorial idea, it hinges on what we see presented in verse 1, which is, for the law... Since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that the law, the old covenant, was merely a shadow, not the fullness of the things to come? What does it mean for that, that whole system, that whole covenant between God and his people, when it says that it's a shadow, how do, how do we even conceptualize that? What, what, is it, what, is it, what is meant to be communicated by that idea? And <clears throat> this helped me, and I hope it helps you. Okay? If we, so if, if you go to John chapter 10, verse 9, I'm not saying turn there, I'm going to read it to you. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In addition, in Revelation 4, the vision of John says this, starting in verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. I think it's interesting here, and this, this is not the only place Jesus referred to himself as the idea of, of being a doorway, when it says, we'll go in and out and find pasture. So what we have here, if we're, if we're trying to conceptualize the imagery Jesus is using to help them understand, it's going to be him by which they, they're going to have to come through him to come to the Father, right? He said that in a different way, right? No one's going to come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So Jesus... Gave this idea many different ways, but really this door deal 
is a, is a way to give a picture of that other idea, that I'm the way, the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. He could have just said that. But that would have left you with, all right, what does that mean? So then he uses the idea of a door. And it's a door where he says, you'll go in and out and find pasture. So in the mind of Christ, as he's saying this, really what he's conceptualizing is, is more, maybe more of a gate than a door. He's thinking about the separation between one pasture and another. And now, if you pass through the door that he is, you can go and find that pasture that's going to provide life and all that God has for you, right? And so, it's, it's think, of a, think of a wall with a gate as opposed to a, a, a door with a wall and a ceiling, okay? That's, that's the image that he would have been giving us. And so, uh, Obviously, you've probably noticed there's a door behind me, and this is part of what I'm trying to get us to understand. So if Jesus is this door that we need to, we're going to have to pass through to get to God, he's, he's the door of the new covenant, okay? So, and, and, and we're asking this question, if the old covenant was a shadow, if it was a shadow of the good things to come, what is, what is that what does that even mean? Why is it a shadow? How does it get in the shadow? Well, imagine then if this door represents Christ, okay? And then what if there was an incredibly bright light behind that door? What would that look like? Okay? Now think about this. If we didn't have this beautiful stained glass... Okay, so we don't have the cool modern sanctuary where you can control the lighting down to, you know, making it dark in here. But if you could, and you have an incredibly bright light behind that door, what is going to be cast this direction towards us in the congregation? A shadow. So what do we have? If Jesus is the door, then what does the light represent? The light represents the new covenant reality. The light represents... All that the new covenant now welcomes us into, which is, at its height, the very presence of God. Is it not? And so part of why the old covenant is shadow, we have to, we have to understand, we can't say more than the author of Hebrews is saying. The old covenant was not bad, the old covenant was incomplete. The old covenant was a shadow because the time was not yet ready for the door to come into time, Jesus to appear to give us the way to end up in the ultimate plan, which is to beware on the other side of the door, to walk through the door into the fullness of fellowship in God's presence. And what was required for that? Salvation, the dealing with the sin problem that created the need for a door to begin with. That's always been the issue. The first thing that happened when sin what was present in the garden is they had to go from the presence of God. Sin cannot exist in the midst of the pure, holy presence of God. That, that, is, that is why sin leads to death. It, it is a separation from God who is life. Jesus is the door back into where we were always meant to be. And there was a, there was a shadow cast, if you can imagine the timeline, of the garden and Abraham, well, don't forget Noah, Noah and Abraham and Egypt and Moses, all of that. If you can imagine the timeline, imagine you're up over top of the thing looking at a timeline. You've got all of the Old Testament, all of that playing out. Jesus is the door. He's going to show up, right? He's going to be born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Now we're standing, some of us, 
on the other side of that door because we've actually come to realize that 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 door was the only door that was going to get me where I really need to be, which is trusting in Christ to save me from sin so that I may be reconciled to a God who loves me and wants me. And so, first of all, it's understanding why was the old covenant a shadow? Because there's a door between the ultimate reality of what God is trying to get his people to and where they were. And so it wasn't a bad thing. That's the, so that's a door because Jesus said I'm a door, but if Jesus himself was standing there, imagine his, his shadow being cast onto it. And that's part of all the sacrifices, all of what was there in the system, the blood of bulls and goats. It was, it was not the fullness of the thing, it was the shadow of the thing, but you can, you can, see, you can see that shape of Christ and what he was going to come do with his ultimate sacrifice. It was all over that old covenant system. So the old covenant was not bad. It was just a shadow of what was to come. And verses five, so verses one through four talk about the shadow. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having been once cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins. We're still talking about what it looked like to be in the shadow. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's that's what it was like to be in that shadow, in that unfulfilled portion of God's plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption was still playing out. It's just, it, it it had a process that had to go through. Old covenant, Old Testament, not bad, good, part of God's plan, but not the fullest of his ultimate redemptive intentions which is us and him forever, the problem of sin completely vanquished. Okay? Verses 5 through 10 begin to now describe what it's like on the other side of the door, yet still here. And what we see highlighted in in this set of 18 verses is is a a term that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's, it's the already not yet. Some of the fullness of what God has done in Christ is available to us here and now. Some of what, what is the ultimate reality of the kingdom of God is present here and now. Those who have come to faith in Christ are standing perfected before God right now, positionally. We are his children. He has called us justified, and yet we are not glorified. We are not at the point where we are totally rid of the temptation to sin and then sometimes even the actions of sin, right? So in one, it's already, some of that is already done and finished, but there's still some to come. And so verses five through 10, peel back a little bit for us the reality of what it looks like to be on the other side of the door and yet still here. Verses 11 through 18 start to give us a peek of what it's like on the other side of the door. I, I would say it this way, verses five through 10 is the other side of the door here, Verses 11 through 18 is the other side of the door there. And by there, I mean eternity. Let's look at verses 5 through 10 and see what we're talking about. What does it look like to be on the other side of the door, but yet still be here in this plane of existence, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, living out the years God grants us? Verses 5, starting in verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired... But a body you have prepared for me, in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come 
In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Okay, Big statement here by the author of Hebrews. The, the, what Jesus is doing, he's fulfilling the old covenant to institute the new. It's not, we're going to now blend the two together because the, the terms by which we are trusting that God is going to accept us, you can't have both. It can't be blood of bulls and goats daily or yearly and Jesus. You got to pick one. And the argument for the whole book of Hebrews is the choice is easy. Okay? Because there's a once for all sacrifice with Christ. Like, like what? You, you, guys, you guys know, look, all the problems, right? He was talking about the shadow. The, the, the blood of bulls and goats, it can't cleanse sin. It could cover it, but it can't cleanse it. Your conscience was still stained. You, you can never come to a place of being fully confident that God w- w- was able to wipe those sins away to not be dealt with anymore. And this is part of why the sacrifice of Christ is superior. And let's make sure we don't miss this reality. I, I, I don't think I've said this enough as, as, we've, as we've dealt with the book of Hebrews. We, we've in, in staying faithful to the text, we're dealing with what the author's dealing with, which is primarily this issue of people trusting in or trying to blend together the old covenant with the new. I realize that for most of us, that is not the concern. Most of you don't have a little altar at home and you're buying little virgin baby goats once a month and doing your own personal day of atonement and think just, as, just in case maybe this Jesus thing doesn't work out. I'm going to do, you know, we'll, we'll make a goat thing too and then we'll be covered. I realize most of you are not doing that, okay? But we need to understand it's, it's, it's not... The temptation to trust in something else for salvation is not excluded down to the Old Testament sacrificial system. You understand that. Our temptation might be different. It probably much more likely looks like trusting in our own good works in some way. Or going to look for, maybe it's not even, we're not even thinking in terms of salvation. We just know that we're miserable. And so we're out here looking for some way to try to create our own little piece of heaven here and now, aside from Christ who is really, he's the only one that's going to be able to lead us into that thing we know we're yearning for, which is hope and peace and joy and contentment and a sense of stability with the God that made me. That's really what we're yearning for. That's, that's what people are out here chasing all the things they're chasing, trying to find a feeling that, that, will, that will make that gnawing ache go away, that something isn't right. Of course something isn't right. Because on this side of the door... We are separated from the very source of life that we were made to be connected to. So of course there's an ache. And let that fuel our compassion for those who have not yet heard there is a door they're welcome to walk through. Let us stop sitting in such harsh judgment of those that maybe don't even know, they don't understand the terms by which their life is being run, why they are compelled to do the things that they do. They're still sitting in such darkness, and the, and, and the book of Corinthians is clear, chapter 5, yes. We do judge within the household of faith as an act of love. We do hold each other accountable, but it's God's job to judge those outside the household of faith. And yet sometimes we are, we are so good at screaming and hollering about what, what the world is doing and how disgusting it is. Well, of course, man, blind people bump into things. Why, why are you shocked? Desperate people do desperate things. 
And life aside from Christ is desperate, whether people realize that's what's going on or not. What do we see? Life is like on this side of the door, yet still here. One major facet we see here is that we now have relationship instead of repetitious and religious rituals. All this language about, it, look, it's not, it's not sacrifices you want. That's not what you're looking for. What does it say? He said, I've come to do your will, O God. Uh, burnt offerings, sacrifices for sin you've not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them. He said, behold, I've come to do your will. Takes away the first in order to establish the second. Ultimately, what we see here is not... And, and Jesus said something that helps us cue into the change. When, when, when you walk through that door that is Christ by faith, when you receive the grace of God, part of what you're walking into is, is a transition. Jesus said it like this to his disciples, didn't he? I no longer call you slaves, I call you what? Friends. God is welcoming us into friendship. What he, what he never, God is not like the other gods of mythology. God is not, because he's not made up. That's part of the thing, right? Because when humans make up gods, part of what it is, like there's going to be a priestly order for that god, whether it's Aphrodite or Athena or Mars or wh- whatever pantheon you're drawn from, Zeus, wh- whatever it is, you're going to have a temple built to them. You're going to have some people that represent that god. And, and we, need to, you know, we need the people to think that god needs your stuff to stay happy with you or else how do we live? Right? So bring your gold, bring your crops, bring your stuff. Let's appease this God. That, that, that was the whole deal. What the God wanted was slaves. What the God wanted was someone that was going to bring them stuff to appease them. And you could, you could look at the Old Testament sacrificial system and say, well, what, 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 why is God different? I'm, that's what I'm telling you. That was, that was there for a time and a purpose in an overall plan. It was a shadow of what was to come, which was Jesus who was going to make it clear that the whole time what God wanted, it wasn't just obedience, it wasn't just your, uh, your affection and your attention, and it wasn't your offerings, that wasn't the whole deal. What he wants is you. He wants you, all of you, as a friend He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to love you like a son and a daughter. He wants you to be able to love him like a good father. It's never been about, God's never been about, because he has no need of anything. It's not, anything he's asked us to do is not about because he needs to get something from us. It's always about shaping, conditioning our hearts and teaching us, bringing us to a place. And here's the thing, when you walk through that door by grace through faith, when you begin to realize this is not a God of rigid, ritualistic stuff, that, and it's just about that. It's just about, okay, tell me the rules, and then I'll follow the rules, and then I can go away with a clear conscience figuring that this, this entity, this deity is happy with me. That's, not, that's never been what it's been about. It's been about, let's get all the way down to the core of your heart, every single thing that would stop you from desiring a real relationship with me, let's get that out of there. Let's get every false idol, every foolish belief that would make you think you're going to find what you're looking for somewhere else. Let's get all that. Let's burn that up so that what we can have in the end is you and me forever. That's what God's been after. And that's why he's different than any other deity that has ever been purported to exist. So it's not just the beauty of now understanding what God wants 
is us, not a bunch of things from us. But the beauty is once you understand that, once you really know what's going on here, then a lot of those things will follow and, and will come out of the fact that, wow, we got a God that good that loves us like that. The motivation is not, let me do all these things so that this, this God stays happy with me and I can get in his good graces, but man, when I realize what God has wanted all along is really me, then him having my attention and my affection is a natural outflow. That's, what, that's, what, that's how love works. Oh wow, he loves, he loves me like that? Then it's going to make it actually possible for me to really love him too. He went first, he cleared the debris, but I need to decide whether or not I'm going to take him at his word. That his love for me is that real and that powerful. And then if I love him, am I going to obey him? Yes, of course, Jesus said that. But the motive for the thing is going to be totally different. It, and it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a father-son, it's a daughter-son relationship. It's a friendship far more than, than king-subject. And there's an element in which God is, God is my father, God is my friend, but he is also my king. And that, we, we do need to understand how to walk that out, Right? That's still there. That's still the king of everything. He may be father. He's, he deserves honor, right? I'm not just going to be walking in the throne room just doing whatever kind of foolish stuff I want to do. Right? We're still talking about the king of everything. But at the core of the gospel message is this idea. God wants you. And a really, really good question we can ask ourselves today is, does he have me? Are you... Does he have all of you? Because he's not, he's not satisfied until it's everything. For us to look through our lives and, and ask ourselves the question, the, the parts of my life that, that do seem submitted to the will of God, is, is that because I believe he wants me? Or is, it still, is there still a remnant? Is there still a shadow of me hoping he wants me? And, and maybe, maybe I'll change his mind by doing this or not doing this. Is love, is responsive love because of his love, the motivation for my obedience, my allegiance, my attention? Is it still right for us on this side of the door to be submitted to God's will, to want to do God's will? Absolutely it is. To give offerings? Absolutely it is. But why matters so much? Matthew 16, Jesus said this to his disciples. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Part of what being on this side of the door means is we, we can actually understand what we're being called to there. Since Jesus took up his cross and died on it, we can take up a cross and live for God. That's what, God, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans that's what he means by a living sacrifice. That's what, what, what we mean when we're talking about, does all of me belong to God? Effectively, it's the same as me taking myself and laying myself on an altar as if the next step was to sacrifice me. That level of submission, yet we, we just don't need to do the sacrifice because Jesus did. So we continue to live, but we're able to, to that level of submission, as, as, do you, the, the phrase, a living sacrifice, man, that's, that's deep, what that, what that implies. 
is the the totality of who I am belongs to him. I've laid myself before him in total submission. And yet what he desires for us is not each to die on a cross, but the imagery Christ is using here and saying, pick up your crosses, remember. To the degree I died as a sacrifice so that you may live, I'm asking you to live with that level of submission, with that level of dedication. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about what it looks like on this side of the door and yet still being here. And the two big points is we we can actually see the fullness of the love of God for us. And we can believe with our whole hearts that what he wants is us. And then what that can do is inform the way we live. What it can do is free us to actually be the living sacrifices that we've been called to be. For us to actually take up our cross. And for the, 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 there's the potential now for the fullness of it to be beautiful and to be motivated by the love that Christ showed us. That's what it looks like on this side of the door here. And the the primary question I want you to ask yourself as a result of thinking through that today is, does does he have me? Does he have all of me? And if not, what parts still need to be put up on that altar as a living sacrifice? But, but friends, I'm, I, it's so important that when you ask yourself that question, it doesn't somehow revert back to, oh, okay, so the preacher's saying there's something I'm doing wrong. I, I, I haven't given all of myself to God, so now, now I've got to fix that because then, so that now, you know, I'll, I'll be able to fix this problem between me and God. No, no, Jesus fixed the problem. Jesus did all the work. Jesus died to solve the problem. And so what, for, for us to maybe realize today I think every one of us, taking a real serious look at it, they're, they're part of sin, part of, part of our imperfection on this side of the door, yet not there, not in eternity yet, it, it, any of our sins, any of our temptations can, can be conceptualized at one level as a part of us not yet laid on that altar as a living sacrifice. And so the, the question today is not, um, man, how do I... How do I clean myself up better to get the Lord more pleased with me? It's, man, here here yet is another opportunity for me to love him back because of how well he's loved me. I, I, I know I'm running all around that and I keep poking it, but it's so important that we don't end up in the shadow, doing stuff in the shadow, old covenant way, because we're on this side of the door, friends. So let's, let's act like it. Let's think like it. Let's operate in the freedom that that provides us. Verses 11 through 18 shows us what the other side of the door is there. And what I mean is in eternity, because there is, it's that idea of already, not yet. There are, there, are, there are beautiful things on this side of the door and still here, is there not? To understand, to be on this side of the door, to understand the fullness of the gospel, to be able to see how... There, there was a shadow how that old covenant was not the fullness of God's plan of redemption, but for us to stand in the privileged place in history that we do, this far after Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, so much more of God's plan of redemption, honestly, we, we get to see the whole thing. We, we've had the whole thing laid out. We're just, waiting for, we're just waiting for the final form to be finished. 
We, we know what he's up to. All of it. We are so privileged to live in the time that we live. So much to be thankful for. And yet there is a fullness, there is a finality to the plan of redemption that when this, this part of God's plan comes to an end, there's, there's eternity. And, and earlier I read you from Revelation 4 where he said, After these things I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here. See, that's, that's part of the difference. Because of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, the door is open. And, and the, beckon, the beckoning call is, come up here. Right? Before that, there was a veil in the, in the tabernacle. There was a veil in the temple that said, stay out of here. You can't come in here because of your sin. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, now the door is open and the beckoning call has come. Come up here. I'll show you what must take place after these things. So what does he show him must take place? I'm going to continue reading for you in Revelation chapter 4. It says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. The day, and day and night they do not cease to say, day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. This is a glimpse of what it looks like on the other side of the door there. And friends, this great God, who created all that exists by the unmatched might of his sovereign will, cannot be disregarded, and he will surely never be defeated. And that's part of what verse 13 is talking about. He's waiting from that time onward until what? His enemies be made a footstool for his feet. It's a quotation from the book of Psalms. That is language that lets you know. This conceptualization people have of, of this fight of good and evil. I know, you know, we like Star Wars. You got the dark side and, the, and you get the Jedis and it's like, man, you, just, you can't tell throughout the whole saga which one's more powerful. It's really kind of an even match. You've got kind of the, the Eastern and mystical religions have this idea of the yin-yang and it keeps everything balanced, friends. That is not the reality of things. Yes, there are forces of darkness, but the light that comes forth, the radiance of the sovereignty of our God, there is no competition, there is no discussion. Every person, every entity that sets itself up as his enemy will not just be defeated, but will have the humiliation of being his footstool. We see this idea also 
from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. It says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. I'm in Philippians 2. Who, Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As part of what it's going to look like on that side of the door, there. Friends, I realize the days are evil. I realize... There is much that if we choose to let it could cause us great anxiety in the day that we live. But sometimes what you got to do is just close your eyes, quit looking at what's happening right around here at this moment, and think about what it's going to be like there. Because at the end of it all, every single thing that tries to rise up against God's good plan of redemption for his creation and for those who love him is going to be his footstool. Stop thinking for one second that anybody is getting away with anything. Stop thinking for one second that what you see is the machinations of the forces of darkness. Have you concerned that God is somehow being overrun or overtaken? Friends, every time you're tempted to think that he might think back to the cross, think back to the fact that the forces of darkness must have thought they had dealt the most powerful blow ever to the kingdom of God as Christ hung there bleeding and dying. They must have thought they had done it. We got rid of him. The fools didn't know that once again, the very thing, they thought they were doing something, they were really going to give it to this God that they hate. They set up the very thing. It's the the death blow. It's the final victory. It's It's the thing God was leading up to the whole time. Anything that's going on today, the same is true. He will work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He will do that. And there's coming a day where every enemy will be his footstool, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is why we can't ever let ourselves be convinced that preaching both the bad and the good news of the gospel is somehow shoving religion down people's throats. It's not. I know sometimes people feel that way. I know sometimes people will use that language to shut down conversations. And I'm not saying that if someone says that to you, you got to try to push in past that. There's an element to which, you know, as, as, as we're going about doing kingdom business, as we're going about being gospel heralds, as we're going about being disciples of Christ, there is an element in which we're looking for a person of peace. Not everybody is ready to hear, but, but my concern is that oftentimes that whole idea of, well, I don't want to shove religion down people's throats stops us from even opening our mouths at all. As if to mention the reality of things to somebody, as if to, to, to try to show them what this all really looks like is, is, is doing them some kind of harm. Because first of all, we're not talking about a religion. We already talked about that. We're not talking about what probably their conception of religion is. Here's a really good question to ask somebody. It's like, what do, you, what do you disagree with 
What, what do you not like about what you think the Bible teaches or who God is? Because you may oftentimes find out, that's not, I don't even believe that. That's not even what the Bible actually teaches about him. That's not even how this really goes. That's not what it really looks like. But we're not talking about a religion. We're talking about a God who has not only said, but proven in every way he possibly can that what he wants with us is relationship, that he has real love for us, and that all that he has done has been for this endeavor to have this end goal of us and him forever on the other side of the door. But second, we need to think about it right. Because sharing either the bad news of the gospel, that we all need Christ because we are all sinners, or the good news of the gospel, which is this, the, the, the call, the beckoning call come up here is open to anyone who will acknowledge that they need a Savior and ask Christ to save them. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him, what? They'll not perish, but have eternal life. So it's not a religion we're talking about. But second, what we're doing, it's, it's not unlike telling the captain of the Titanic there's an iceberg ahead. And I just don't know how anybody, including us, ever got the idea in our head that it's unloving. Like, if they invent a time machine, and you could jump in, land on the Titanic, you know, 12 hours before the iceberg hits, and you can get the captain, hey man, check it out, uh, I'm from the future, calm down, you know, it's all right. We have time machines now. I'm here, right? Bro, there's an iceberg coming, okay? You, you got to change course. Is, and, and if the captain's answer is, don't, well, don't shove your opinion down my throat, well, who's the idiot there? I, I think it would still be loving to, to, to take the trip. Say, hey, man, there's a, at least say there's an iceberg coming. And... and and I didn't pick this analogy by accident because it, that is not unlike the life of every single person who's driving their own ship, who's doing their own thing aside from connection to and submission to the God that made them. I don't know how far the iceberg is for them, but there is one. It's coming and it will be cataclysmic in its consequences. It will be no small bump of the boat. It will mean everything is lost. So friends, please, we need to understand this. Because this, regardless of whether or not we grab a hold of this and we make the most of the time God gives us here as gospel ambassadors, whether or not we do that, here's, here's the reality. A day is coming. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That day's coming. But here's the reality. Every knee will bow either in joyous recognition of Christ's rightful reign or their knee will bow in sadness and despair because they rejected him. But every knee going to bow. You got that? The knees are coming down. And so regardless of how somebody thinks about how fanatical you are or how much you're trying to shove something down somebody's throat to, to warn someone there's an iceberg ahead, is an act of love whether they get that it is or not. Because on that side of the door, in eternity, there's coming a day where those who were able to trust in faith that Christ is the door that he said he is, the one way, 
They are going to bow in joyous reception to the announcement of God's final victory. But there will be many that that will be the worst day in all of eternity. Let them not be ones that we walked by because of some fear of being considered whatever we could be considered. May the love of Christ compel us beyond any fear or anxiety or of rejection or whatever may come or what someone's opinion of us may be. We have to keep a vision for our own encouragement walking through a world that is as busted as it is right now of what it's like on the other side of the door in eternity. But we also need to keep a vision of that before us to help us Remember how crucial it is every single day we wake up saying the same thing that Christ was saying to the Father in these verses. You've prepared a body for me, and I'm going to do your will. That's really what this, that's what hinges this whole set of verses. That's the difference. It wasn't, it wasn't the blood of some poor bull and goat that, that was being taken, not by its, not, with it not agreeing, obviously. I don't, I, don't think the, I don't think they had a way to ask the bulls and the goats heading up to the tabernacle, hey, are you into this? You good with what's about to happen? But then we had the Lamb of God, the perfect one, who God prepared a very specific body for to come and to be born and to live a perfect life and to accomplish a mission of dying in our place and then rising from the grave. He is the door, friends. We stand, we stand on a side of it that is incredibly privileged. We're not any longer in the shadow. But yet we are also still looking forward to a final fulfillment. May that be encouragement to us. May it be motivation to us. May we live in the fullness of what God has for us in the here and now. In Christ's name. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that... In your great wisdom, you included pictorial helpers throughout your word. This idea that your old covenant was not bad. It was simply a shadow. It helps us to understand. It helps us to see all of history through the lens of your plan of redemption. From the garden forward, from the time you slain an animal in the garden and covered Adam and Eve with skins, and told Noah to build an ark with one door. And then called Joseph to a place where he could save his family. And then split the Red Sea and gave manna and water in the wilderness and on and on and on. Lord, you were, you were working a plan. The culmination, the high point of that plan was the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus for agreeing before the foundations of the world to take on the task of being our Savior. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we now have a shot at understanding what love is by seeing how you lived and how you died. Thank you, Lord, that we now have your Holy Spirit and we have the opportunity to be empowered to walk in that same kind of love. Help us take up our cross and follow you, Lord. That's Jesus, you went first. Everything you did, you're calling us to do. There's still sacrifice for us to make. It's, it's just of a, a different nature. We don't need to die, but we need to live as sacrifices before you. Lord, help us to do that with joy. 
and help us to do that as an outflowing of how much you have loved us and how thankful we are for it. We belong to you, Lord. And I thank you that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to speak the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, until that great and glorious day, please help us not to be slothful, apathetic, scared, anxious. Help us engage fully with this glorious gospel mission and kingdom work that you've given us. It's an incredible privilege. Help us treat it as such in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.